0: G'day, you know, it's Pete from Mark Remote Coaching. This is our second episode of our series with Alicia Shemeld discussing performance psychology. Of course, Alicia is a registered psychologist with a background in performance psychology. And this episode, we're going to discuss anxiety, arousal, mental rehearsal, as well as psychological discomfort. Anyway, another great episode. Let's get into it. To have a bit of a chat on um, performance psychology since you are a psychologist as well.
1: I know. Oh, I feel so much better. Oh, God. Subject matter expert, they're all right. I have to say, you actually, though, you do a lot of reading about this. Like, I often when we chat, I'm pretty impressed with, with how much you've researched this. Uh,
0: I do. And, I, I, again, um, you know, I, I like to think that I'm at least science based and science driven and not only science like that, that's a big part of it, but sort of looking into different perspectives on things. And, you know, I do exercise science at uni and you you deal with people and you want to get the sort of best outcome. And so having some sort of framework to work with, I think is useful. Um, and yeah, I, I I think I did it right in my sports psychology subject. Um, yeah, anyway, I digest. Uh, <laughs> that that is a deliberate saying. I know it's yeah. I digress. It's an army joke. Uh, if you're not in the army you won't get it.
1: It's why I laughed. I wasn't laughing at feet. I was laughing with him.
0: Classic. Classic. But um I think some of the, the biggest things I talk about with performance psychology, you know, you're the expert here. I'm just um I'm a layman. Um, is really on motivation. And I think anxiety as well.
1: Yeah.
0: I think they're two sort of topics and, um, what sort of drives someone and then, and what we can do to, to optimize someone's performance, whether it's in a sporting competition at whatever level, or even just your average gym goer who wants to get a bit stronger, like, I think, you know, I look at myself as an athlete. Um, not because I am an athlete, but I think it's a good way to sort of view things. I, I want to do the best I can with what I have. Um, so yeah, anyway, uh, I had a point, but I forgot what it was.
1: <laughs> um, well, all right, where to start, um, I guess in terms of, I think it's, it's important when you're working with clients, cause I assume like we're talking more about you working with clients and from a coaching perspective is to figure out whether your client is, let's just grossly divide the world into like not anxious people or anxious people and not not, not clinically or anything, but let's just, you know, let's just say your client is either someone who's going to respond to things just in the average standard way or maybe your client is someone who maybe they have clinical anxiety or maybe they just are someone who gets very, very in their own head. Or yeah, So if we just divide it like that. Um, so I, when we were talking about doing this topic, I mentioned the Yerkes-Dodson equation to you. Did you do any homework? Did you read about the Yerkes-Dodson equation?
0: <laughs> I did. And I'm like, oh, that's like the inverted U hypothesis.
1: Yeah. So like, yeah, essentially, but not to do with motivation. It's to do with like, um, essentially what these guys found, and this was, this is very old study, this like early 1900s, um, is that like physiological arousal, which can be anxiety or it can be excitement as well, um, it actually makes you perform better to a point, but then too much of it makes you perform worse.
0: Yes, and, and that means- is in, in sports psychology, that's where um, the inverted U is used for yeah. arousal vice yeah. um, motivation so much.
1: Yeah, yeah. because for me, the inverted U is usually a motivation thing.
0: Um, um, yeah. Well, motivation is a funny topic too.
1: Um, but the interesting thing with that, York Dodson, is there's like they, they delved further into that and what they found is that um, the, the drop-off is much more noticeable if the task is like considered hard. And that can be like it's hard because it's unfamiliar or it's hard because it's very complex or whatever. Whereas if the task is either simple or very well learned or something that you're good at and you consider yourself good at, it, like a high-level of arousal could be helpful.
0: Yeah. Um, And um, I think, so uh, there was like two, well, there's sort of three or four models in sports psychology I'm aware of that it explains really well. I think that Yerkes Dodson sums it all up. I think the first one's drive theory, which is as you increase arousal, performance increases in a sort of linear sense. And then they You know, there was some research with athletes and they saw that didn't work with everyone. And then, yeah, the the task complexity then said, well, with more complex tasks, you get the inverted U. But then there's another theory called catastrophe theory, which is like a broken inverted U. So it starts off like an inverted U and then just past optimal performance, like the ass falls out of it and it drops. And that's, I think, choking where there's either high-pressure, you yeah. have to it's do or die and then people just fall apart even though moments earlier they were playing the best game of their life or having the best performance. Yeah. Um I suppose like what are sort of strategies to um to manage Actually, let's go back one step. Um how would you define the difference between arousal? Oh, how would you define arousal actually as a as a concept?
1: Um I think it's just so a big thing, I think, for athletes is increasing their awareness of their own body. Yep. So doing a body scan. So do you know, have you heard of this idea of a body scan? Of, like, what's going on in my body right now? Mm. Because arousal is all to do with what's physiologically happening in your body. Yep. So there are often, like, thoughts associated with it. But basically it's like it's that fight or flight idea. It's, you know, heart's racing. Maybe Maybe the palms are sweaty. Um, And there's a lot of internal processes to do with that as well, which is a certain level of arousal is going to reduce – like you're going to – it's going to affect your digestive system, which is why, like, when someone's in, like, a a huge trauma, sometimes they may actually, like, shit their kidneys or something like that, which hopefully won't happen in powerlifting, but it does sometimes um, because they're so nervous. But often people – don't realise that that's why before a big meet or before, like, a physical test, you might go to the bathroom a lot. That's all, like, gastrointestinal dist- distress yep. is tied to what's happening with your nervous system. Um, so that's kind of, like, when so I talk about arousal, what we're talking about is basically that yeah, your blood's pumping fast and there's, like, all the associated stuff going on with it. Yep. But the key thing is that um, your, your body's doing that, but your brain can kind of attribute meaning to it. So... You, if you're nervous and you're not confident, and that starts happening, you can freak out and it can, and it can make it, you feel worse. But if you are confident in your skills, in what's going to happen, in this is how this plays out, then it can be quite adaptive and it can be actually really helpful. Because if you think about it, your blood's pumping faster, it can make you know, it can get to your muscles faster, like all that kind of stuff. Yep. Um,
0: yeah, now I agree. I think I, I look yeah. at motivation, and I think in the past I've probably confused motivation with enthusiasm. Um, and I'm going to change one of my articles, I'll write a new one on it where, you know, I think by the book, I like the definition of motivation, motivation specifically is direction and intensity, um, of your efforts. Um, and then arousal is sort of like an instantaneous measure of that, which has physiological results. Um, as you alluded to, so looking at the psychological and as physiological aspects and then, yeah, that they manifest through that sweating heart rate. Um, nervousness come about Um, and the cognitive function I think is really important because you know the body what annoys me about a lot of people's perception of training is they just everyone gets fixated on fucking muscles (laughs) and it's like yeah muscles are like important and shit but there's so much else happening in the body and then you know master controls that the six inches between your ears um, the most important six inches uh, anyone has (laughs) Sex, jerk.
1: Um. If you are listening to this, you have just missed out on the sleaziest winking point of your life.
0: (laughs) Whatever. Well, Um.
1: just in saying that, I think that's an important point to talk about, that distinction between if your athlete is an anxious athlete or a non-anxious athlete. Yes. Um, Because if you've got an anxious athlete, what can happen is when that stuff, that physiological stuff starts happening and it's good, that stuff's good, they cognitively, the way that their body's going to react is that this is not good and I'm not safe. Yes. And then they're going to get freaked out. So the way that you approach it is actually different in probably those two different athletes.
0: Yep. And actually that reminds me of of another um, arousal model that this Russian dude came about in the 70s. Um, He was a sports psychologist and it was like the individual zones of optimum functioning, I think. Yeah. yeah. So, um, and that was like an evolution past the inverted U um, method, which, you know, arousal's low, performance is low, arousal's moderate performance is high, and then it drops off. His was individuals will have different ideal levels of arousal. Um, One person's going to have high performance with low arousal, another person's going to have high performance with moderate, and then a third hypothetical person's going to have high performance with high arousal, um, or even high anxiety.
1: Yeah, absolutely.
0: Uh, absolutely. Yeah. And, uh, and you know, talking about absolutes and I think a lot of, I think, um, I think a lot of things, um, I think it's, it's easy to just put things into the good or bad baskets yeah. Like of oh, anxiety. That's bad. But you're like, well, it's a bit more nuanced. It, yeah. it can actually be beneficial. Um, like, everything is inherently bad at a particular dose or a particular yep. exposure, whether that's anxiety, cortisol, oxygen, yeah. like they're all bad in a yeah. certain dose. Yeah. Um, they're all useful in a certain dose as well. And the, the sort of anxiety thing, cause it's, it's cognitive and it's in your brain. It, it's what, what works for a person compared to another person is actually gonna vary considerably mm-hmm based on, I think, um, who they are as a person, their upbringing, their, you know, trait anxiety versus their current state anxiety, which trait is sort of like, I think it's your genetic predisposition, yeah. like whereas your state is like your current emotional state of anxiety. Um, I think, yeah, trying to get that right for an individual versus just telling people not to be anxious. <laughs>
1: <laughs> yeah, I... One of the funniest things for me is it's like, so at the at the moment I'm working with like I the, the I'm working with kids and we live with them basically like you know I, I go home but they live in a certain facility so we're it's called a therapeutic community and the idea is you're always modelling the right behaviour for them. But what I find funny is that you will sometimes see someone who's maybe not trained in mental health in the same way and a kid will get worked up and they'll be like, okay, just calm down. Yes. Just calm down. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Well. You know, this kid, because fight or flight has triggered in them because of something that's happened. Yeah, just being told to calm down is not a solution.
0: <laughs> yeah, it, it's probably going to make it
1: worse. Yeah. Well, and, it's, and especially if it's, if like, and I see that sometimes it can make people very angry. Like, I've worked with some very um, aggressive dudes who, when they get agitated, the solution is definitely not telling them to calm down. Yeah. <laughs>
0: uh,
1: but, yeah, I think it's, I think it's it, yeah, it's something worth people being aware of, of like especially for coaches. One, I guess, if I was going to give coach's advice in terms of how to, how to manage, let's say, how to manage someone who is, let's say, trait anxious and is like is having issues with anxiety in training, like say, has an anxiety disorder or something like that. Um, like the the first one would be make sure if that person uses a pre-trainer that it doesn't have better alanine in it or however you say that, because that is a that's a huge issue for people with anxiety disorders and it can really. What, that coupled with the increased heart rate that comes with training can trigger an anxiety disorder. Um, now, the caveat on that, and once again, this is a thing where if, you, if you've if you followed me on Instagram, you know. So I'm a psychologist who has an anxiety disorder, so I'm very good at managing it in the gym. Yep. I will sometimes use that in a pre-trainer and I will go into a session knowing that I will probably have an anxiety attack, but with confidence in my own ability to manage my anxiety. In the gym. Yep. So I only do it in sessions where I can take a longer break than I would have you know normally and I can just take a second at the side of the gym and it ties in with what we've talked about before of that people freak out in the gym and then they freak out because they think people notice them freaking out no one has ever noticed me have an anxiety attack even in the biggest gyms because most most of us are carrying this beautiful little thing in our hands called a phone where no matter what's going on in your head you just look at your phone and you look intense and people just think something's going on, on your phone they don't know that you're having a moment in the gym. Um, so that's a big thing I say like I would say coaches is just if they're having issues look at what they're taking before training or even if it's like caffeine can have a similar issue with anxiety depending on how um like how much of a tolerance they've got so just keep an eye on it um another thing I would say is like hit, like high intensity interval training for people with anxiety disorders that can be a bit hit or miss by the fun. um so okay. it's just something to be aware of that for some people that can trigger an anxiety attack and they might be better off using like moderate intensity cardio or a different kind of hit or just like figure out what works for them or have them do some reading just for their own mental health around like how anxiety works and have them know that when it happens that's okay you're not going to die like your heart's not actually going to give out or anything you just need to maybe take it down a notch
0: um i think it's important like if if you recognize you know i have anxiety um and i experience it during exams because i currently have to write Three thousand word exams in short periods of time, but um, I, I recognise that I have anxiety, and I actually recognise that my performance increases. Yeah. So you know my watch will tell me like I'm stressed, I'm freaking out because I've got a smart watch which monitors everything, and I'm you know double banging um, blend forty three. Well, Robert Timms, um, I'm a bit classier at home when I'm doing my exams, but I, I know I'm actually effective. Yeah. Um. I'm rude. <laughs> yeah. It, it, and, you know, Jade probably suffers it the most when she asks about my exam. And I, I'm unintentionally blunt to her. Um, and I don't mean to be. I don't like talking about it. But I know in turn that with a high dose of caffeine, with a high pressure task, I actually do pretty well. Yeah. Whereas previously I would fret over that beforehand. Yeah. But. I sort of gained confidence in knowing that well, actually every time I do this I pass. Yeah. I haven't done an exam that I've freaked out and done. I've done a whole bunch that I've actually done really well, so that's sort of given me confidence in recognising it and accepting it. Yeah. And and not viewing my anxiety as something negative. I I think I'm processing it as being constructive and positive. Yeah. And it, it's helped and that's, you know, it's not training, but you know when I, when I hit the gym, I'm the same. Like I want to get aggressive and angry. Um, I want to get hyped up. I like doing one rep max attempts without spotters. It's inherently dangerous and it's bad advice. Um, <laughs> but that's why I have a squat rack or a squat cage. Yeah. Because that extra pressure um, sort of gives me extra or an extra drive to actually generate more force to get out of a crazy front squat. And plus, you know, I know how to did your bar pretty well. (laughs) Yeah.
1: Well, I think it's like you can use it, you can absolutely use it, especially if you have good insight into your own processes and what's happening for you physically and, you know, the body scans and whatnot. But you also got to remember that, like, you you couldn't sustain that in the exam or in the gym all the time. Like, you know, um, and so it's about going, right, I put my body under this much pressure and now I need to let those kind of chemicals get processed the way they need to get processed. And that could be you know you have a sauna or you get a yeah. mass up or you know for me i just will i will do like 40 minutes steady state cardio after a big session mm. just to bring my heart rate right back down yeah and i'm sure everybody's experienced that we have like a massive session you like feel great but then you go home and like a kid is you know shitting you or something and you have yeah. like a really quick reaction and it's because you've still got your body doesn't yep. really know you're in the gym your body without your brain is like oh it's a saber tooth tiger what's happening yeah and then your spouse says, Hey, did you put the garbage bin out and you swear at them? Like
0: <laughs> I just PR'd my front squad bitch. <laughs> yeah. I'm
1: not in that space.
0: Sorry, Dylan.
1: Yeah. I mean, I am I am fortunate, I would say, to have a spouse that wants to lift. He's not that mental health savvy, but he loves to lift, so he can get that. So um, so I think that it's worth having that awareness and as a coach having that awareness of if you if you you can safely train someone who has an anxiety disorder and they can, they can do that, but they really need to have a good insight into their own coping. And they need to know that this is not like your secret weapon and you just smash yourself through anxiety attacks all the time. It's yeah. you can, if one happens in the gym, you can use it, but you need to let your body recover because there's certain chemicals your body's being flooded with that can't hang around or they're not going to be good for you.
0: Yep. And it's that, that idea that things aren't good or bad that, they're both that, yeah. that there's positive consequences like you and to get the fight or flight response I think it's important to recognize that your body can increase its physical capacity for a limited period of time but that comes at a cost yes absolutely they're going to be a whole bunch of catabolic substrates yeah. you know, if you maintain that elevated heart rate and that 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 sort of stressful psychological stressful situation there's going to be negative performance outcomes in the long run and I think yeah, it's it's a balance of sort of getting the stimulus when you need it, and then dissipating to try and minimise all the negative residual yeah. effects that you're gonna have, yeah. Um, and yeah, and recognising that things are good and bad, yeah, um, as opposed to just good or bad, yeah, yeah. Um, it's multifaceted. But no, I like that. Arc Remote Coaching offers individualized strength and conditioning coaching for you as an individual anywhere in the world. If you're looking to optimize your physical performance for a field sport, if you're a tactical athlete, if you're a performing artist, or if you have a high-intensity hobby where you need to be in the best physical shape, get in touch. Check us out at www.arcremotecoaching.com and have an accredited strength and conditioning coach assist you in optimizing your performance when it counts. We offer individualized programming coaching delivered directly to your smartphone so you can access me, your strength and conditioning coach, receive constructive feedback, including video review to make sure that you're performing at your best. ARK Remote Coaching, have me, your strength and conditioning coach in your pocket, anywhere, anytime. some things on my notes of topics I I asked for some questions and uh, we've just covered one of them really well I think
1: oh good well you said before you said about strategies and so yes. was,
0: Ooh, yeah, yeah
1: yeah because I'm an overachiever while we've been talking up and thinking about how to answer that question um, go for it I've been using my anxiety using my racing heart um so and this is probably this works like for an anxious person or a not anxious person but just in that space of you know we talked about how, if the task is unfamiliar, you, you have more of a performance drip off with anxiety, but if it can be a familiar task or one that you're confident with, you can actually use the anxiety more. So you can kind of game the system there by looking at what kind of things can make the task inherently more stressful. So there's kind of like a few things that can make the task more stressful. So like the task being new or unfamiliar, that will make the task more stressful. And you did this. I don't know if you did this because you've studied this theory, but you did this for me with that powerlifting cop which was you were like, oh, let's have a Skype catch-up. And it was hard for me to get to Skype because of a few things, but you were like, it's really important I talk you through how the comp will work. And so that's it. That's taking away a lot of the unfamiliarity of, yeah, they'll do this, they'll use these words. They're going to expect you to do this and this. And so that reduces the stress as opposed to walking into the room and being like, oh, what does that mean and why are they wearing those pants and, you know, what shoes do I have to wear and all that. So there's a lot more to, I think, you know, and obviously you know this, to coaching than just, like physically what's the person going to do on the platform it's like they need to understand when I walk in the door this is what it's going to look like and mental mental rehearsal is a huge tool that athletes use to to do that of like what's even to the point of like what's my morning going to look like I'm going to get up I'm going to do this what clothes am I going to wear because the more you can do that like your body actually if they've done studies on this around like how your how your brain use it like going through the motions or mentally rehearsing things and it really can't tell a huge difference between the two so just laying in bed at night and thinking about comp day and thinking this is what will happen you know and obviously you can't control everything so you want to rehearse a few different scenarios but what you should have even for a first-time athlete is that the first time that they walk in there they feel like i know what's going to happen this is familiar to me even if cognitively they're not it's not truly familiar some part of their brain feels that this is familiar and that can reduce the, um, like that can kind of reduce the stress of it.
0: Yeah. And, um, yeah, where I got that from was, it was sports psychology and it was this, we did a topic on mental practice, which I think is yeah. the same as mental rehearsal and what I remember out of it was, yeah, that you look at mental practice, you look at physical practice, then you look at the combination of mental practice and physical practice. And it turns out that physical practice has better outcomes than mental practice in terms of like doing bicep curls versus thinking about bicep curls. Yeah. <laughs> but if you both do bicep curls and think about doing bicep, bicep curls, there actually is, that's a terrible example, but um, there's a trend of improved performance. Yeah. So, um, and that, that was sort of the reasoning was, well, if you're familiar with this and you don't need to be perfectly familiar, but the more familiar you are, the less surprised you'll be, you know, the less sort of environmental stresses will be present to interfere. Yeah. Um, and, and what i always liked doing, um, and this goes back to when I was um, coaching at Ironclad with Damien, was um, the, the week pride or powerlifting comp in the club, we'd run a mock meet. Yeah.
1: And yeah. we'd get uh, everyone
0: just to hit their openers, just hit their first squat, their first bench, their first deadlift a week out. And it, we had people acting as referees and doing all the calls. So that part of the competition which is the hardest part, because that's the bit they're going to do. Yes. Like they've already done, they would already practiced, they've already seen it in some degree. And then the same with, uh, with everyone else with weightlifting or powerlifting. I, I like getting people to, you know, a week or two weeks out, do their last heavy training session in all their competition gear. Yeah. Actually going and weighing in two hours before their session. So, and that's, you know, the weigh-in, like doing the weigh-in, yeah. having the, the actual pressure and stress of making weight then eating what they're going to eat on the day, then actually doing the competition as close to the competition as we can get it to do, as specific yeah. as we can get, which is going to vary, but um, just that, that way the day is not an absolute shit show. Yeah. <laughs> and even people like Mark, who has done a shitload of comps now, like, we'll still do that. Yeah. Like, you know, I'll make him wear his, his singlet the whole week, ideally, um, yeah. of a competition to get used to wearing this, you know, leotard or unitard <laughs> um
1: can we take a break for one second all right we're back we're back you so you were saying just then you were saying about um that you wish you could make mark wear his single the whole time actually like it's actually really like, you obviously been a little bit facetious but um if that fits into that all all of that kind of removing the sources of stress because yeah. it doesn't feels different it's constricting particularly if you have a have a client who has an anxiety disorder or gets anxious It's a new sensation. They might feel like they can't breathe. Having that experience beforehand and learning, I can breathe. I can do my deep breaths that I need to do. Like it's all helpful.
0: Yeah, and like you know, singlets feel different. Um, And the other thing, some people get really self-conscious wearing them. Yeah, yeah. And you don't want the first time. You know, you're pretty much naked with something painted on you. It's not that bad. But a lot of people think that people are going to be looking at their junk or whatever. Yeah. Um, the people at the competition don't give a fuck.
1: Yeah, yeah. But
0: you want to get just used to wearing it. Yeah. Um, and then and you need wearing to feel it's like normal. What
1: the lifts feel like and stuff, and just feel because it's the whole thing of like a huge way to reduce anxiety is to have an awareness of what sensations are happening in your body and what do they mean. So, to to remove something that confuses that is a good idea.
0: Yeah, and the other sort of point of view I think I have with it is like it's a um, a part of a ritual that. Once that thing's on, yeah. like it, it's game time. Yeah. Um, so, you know, like warming up for the comp, like there's a, there's a part Mark will put his, his, I'll do the same now um, after having done one competition. Uh, <laughs> that goes, sure. <laughs> yeah, goes on at a certain point, but it's not on and up with it all set up, it's actually just around your waist and you've got like a yeah. t-shirt on, like it's one of his last lifts, his last lift, he then actually makes sure it's over, it's all set, then he does that, then he goes out, because that's yeah. like a cue, a psychological yeah. cue that- Yeah, that's you know, fun. Um I'm, I now need to be in whatever my optimum zone is. Yeah. I don't want to waste that effort yeah. earlier, um, yeah. mental effort earlier. I want to be able to like,
1: well, it's telling it's telling the body that we're hitting we're hitting game time basically, as you say. You don't don't waste it. Don't let your body get to peak arousal before that point. Yeah. Yes,
0: and that's sort of the hard thing. Um, everything's hard, but yeah, you, you want to yeah you, you want to game it. You, you want to make sure that you're in the zone when you need to be in the zone, and you don't want to be in the zone early because, like we said, it, that's really fatiguing. Yeah. Um, yeah, being a highly aroused physiological, psychologically oh, okay. is going to cost you and that can result in a poor performance if you peak early. Yeah. Um, but what I like to do too, with e- even testing my one rep maxes, my two rep maxes, my five rep maxes, whatever I'm going to do, like I don't go into that session without any idea of what I'm going to hit. I've already planned out my attempts if that makes sense. I my warm-ups are the same. I know what my warm-up's gonna be. Um, every time I squat, I go 60, 90, 110. And then if it goes heavier, then I just go up in whatever increments. So yeah. I always hit the same weights when I warm up. Um, but what I'm gonna do like one rep max, I already have a number in mind and I've already planned out, you know, how many heavy attempts I'm gonna have. Typically three, no more than, sometimes only one. Um I know what my warmth are going to be beforehand as a form of mental practice. And I use that as a gauge as well. Um, as opposed to like, oh, I'm going to test my one RM. What am i am going to do today? I'll just see how it feels. Like, I already know that the day that I got a double body weight front squat, I already knew I was going to do that. <laughs> I knew what plates were going to be on the bar. I knew I was going to have the half kilos for the ones. Like I already pictured it um, and, I, and I just did it. I already had the warm up and I just went through and I hit it. Um, I think that's a, a good skill to have, like a, a routine and then also a a plan. Um, and that's what I think people can take from powerlifting and weightlifting is you don't just go onto the platform and do whatever the fuck you want. You actually have a competition plan for what you're going to do. And I think that's useful even if you're not competing as a powerlifter or a weightlifter. If you're going to test something like a run, a lift, um, to actually have a number or numbers chosen that you're going to hit, and then aim for, and then a plan to actually get to that
1: yeah.
0: on the day. I think people just go into the gym sometimes, just oh, I'll just do whatever. Yeah. And I think, and I think that's a form of mental practice, really. Okay. You've already decided it may not go to plan. There's no guarantee it's going to happen, but it's better than going in blind, I guess. Right.
1: And I guess the only thing I would say with that is um, that, one of the other things that can increase stress in a situation is like the fact that some things are uncontrollable. Yep. And so it's about remembering that this, like, this stuff helps. Mental rehearsal helps. All this stuff is really good. It's really good for managing anxiety. But at the end of the day, sometimes shit's going to happen that's completely out of your control. And I like some sort of, I really view the world and not just sport, but the world as the only thing that I can control is how I react. Yep. To it. And that's how I teach my clients as well, which some people find a bit sort of absolutist and a bit terrifying. But what it's saying is at, at the end of the day, like someone could, if I'm walking down the street, someone could come up and slap me. And there's, there's not much that I can do to stop that, but I can yep. control what I do. I can walk away, I can engage with that, I can do whatever. And it's the same in any situation. So I can control my reactions in the sense of I can, I can control what I tell myself. Cause that's really an important thing. Sometimes when people get worked up or they like start to choke in like sporting environments, it's like they think that they're, they're not in control of their thoughts. Mm. But thoughts are what you're saying to yourself. Now, they're going to come from, like, your whole history and everything that's happened to you as a kid and all that, so your automatic thoughts come from somewhere. But you can do something with them. You can kind of talk back to them and be like, well, is that true? Like, if, if the thought is I'm going to choke and everyone's going to laugh at me, you can you can sort of say, well, is that true? Where's the evidence that they're going to do that? Where's the evidence that I can't handle it if everybody laughs at me? Or you can just go like, yeah, thanks for that. Like that's not really helpful, right? Now. You just let it be there, and then you control, like, because you can control your physiological arousal. So when you start to get worked up, you can bring your heart rate back down through breathing. Um, mm. And I think that's the thing that people sort of forget. They go, "Oh, but I, you know, I'm so, I'm so worked up," and and the thinking's not working. And sometimes the thinking's not working because if your heart's racing that fast, you, you, your body, your body's being flooded with those chemicals. You're not going to think straight. It's actually affecting. Like you're going to just go back into muscle memory. You're going to go back into survival instincts, which for humans are often things that are social survival instincts of I'm going to do nothing so that no one can make fun of me and I don't get thrown out of the out of the tribe, basically. Yep. Um, but you can then go right. Let's let's kind of go sideways with it. Bring your own heart rate back down, which is completely possible to do through breathing exercises. And then once your heart rate is down, then you go right. Am I thinking about this rationally? What's a different way to think about it? And, you know, the, the throwaway one that anyone who's been in the army has heard this is, like, if you can't think what's well, a different way to think about it, you say, what would you tell a mate who was in the same situation? Like, you always got to talk to yourself like you're your best friend. And I find that's where a lot of people go wrong. They think that they got to – and I've seen you do this, Pete. You get so angry with yourself. <laughs> like, you yeah. know, you swear at yourself or, you know, you're a piece of shit or whatever, which, fine, if it's working, it's working. But yeah. when, when it's not working – self-compassion is key of you know you've prepared for this you've done all this training you know this one little thing like you know you're strap breaking on your singlet and you're having to train in something or you have to, to compete in something different this is not going to be the end of the world and also just even if you know even if the comp goes badly that in itself is not the end of the world either. yeah um, and it's removing some of that pressure because that's a big thing that kind of um like that's the, the fear of social evaluation is a big thing for humans and it makes our stress increase by a huge amount. So there's two ways to deal with it. One is you just stop giving a shit what people think. Um, I tend to embrace that. Like that powerlifting comp I did, I dressed like Wonder Woman because yep. why not? Because uh, if, if I'm going to be bad anyway, I'm going to be bad and an amazing outfit. Might as well look good um, doing it. Yeah. Or you remind yourself that, yeah, you might get embarrassed but you've survived being embarrassed before. Now, that's obviously different. For an elite athlete, that's different because there's financial repercussions. Um, So the strategies I would probably recommend there are different, but I'm thinking for the average athlete who is still an athlete, still being coached, and who is still serious, it is still worth remembering that these are sports that we choose to compete in, that we are privileged to be able to compete in, to pay to compete, to have the time to go and do it. At the end of the day, it's not a saber-toothed tiger chasing us, and if we fail, we don't get eaten. Like, it's okay.
0: Yeah. Um, it's, 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 good. Um, because yeah, like sport in, in Western society, like it, it's not make or break. Oh, we're not doing we're
1: this. Do. It's a challenge, but we're choosing to engage in it.
0: Yeah. I think some people, people take some sports like at, you know, semi-recreational or recreational semi-professional levels a bit, a bit too seriously. Cause like yeah. weightlifting and power thing in reality aren't professional sports in this country. Yeah. yeah. Even if you're the best you can be the best australian we we could have a national champion he
1: doesn't make the money from fucking the weightlifting she makes it from crossfit and the endorsements
0: exactly so you know our she went to the commonwealth games like yeah she's not making money as a weightlifter well make 20 bucks but that is not going to sustain her for life in eastern europe it's a little bit different and some asian countries where like that is their actual profession where they're sponsored by the state and the government and then if they get gold medals and they get Paid more, they family gets looked after, but in the West, yeah. it, it's not. It's and strength sports, especially even CrossFit, like these are hobbies <laughs> that they're, they're recreational pursuits. Yeah, um, yeah. You having a, a bad meet or a bad event, like who fucking cares? Sport teams lose every week.
1: Yeah,
0: like literally every week, a team will lose a game. Yeah, because the other team has to win. So that, that, that's the same. You just lost the game. Yeah. Um,
1: I and this will this will show the I guess the background that I'm from. But I the thing that I hear in my head at that point is we're not playing for sheep stations. Like
0: <laughs> exactly. Like, what, what's the worst consequence yeah. in terms of actual difference? Um, yeah. Some people I don't know who don't know me uh, are going to see that I screwed a lift up. Yeah. Uh, what What are they going to do about it? Fucking nothing. <laughs> <laughs> Um, th- th- yeah, th- are they going to dwell on it for the next three weeks?
1: Nope. But I, I think this, and this is something I can talk about for ages, but this ties in the fact that humans don't, like, and athletes, it's funny because athletes will tolerate a level of, a huge level of physical discomfort. Athletes will yeah. tolerate hurting during a workout, hurting after a workout, waking up hurting, not being able to sleep because of muscle cramps. That's fine. But they don't like to tolerate a psychological discomfort mm. of embarrassment or worry or something like that. Because sometimes it's like, because I, I had this where someone um, was, they'd asked for advice because they were really worried about something coming up and they had someone else was there helping them and they said, oh, I'm really worried, I'm going to get so embarrassed. And their friend had done what I think a lot of people do, which is go, they tried to convince them all the reasons it wouldn't go bad um, and, you know, that they wouldn't be embarrassed. And instead, and I'm the one that was like brought in to kind of help them straight away, I said, oh, like what's your what's your worst case scenario here? And and he's describing what his worst-case scenario was. And I was like, okay, and, like, on a scale of 1 to 100, how embarrassed would you be? And he looked at me like I'm an absolute dickhead. Uh, And I was like, no, you know, just just kind of do it. And he's like, oh. like. And I said, let's say, and we we came up with a little scale of, like, you know, zero is not embarrassed, completely confident. A hundred is, you know, my entire year 12 class walks in on me on the toilet, you know, completely nude. Or, like, you know, you can't look whatever. So with that scale of, like, mortifying embarrassment to no embarrassment, where would this be? And he's like oh, it would be like a 60. And I was like, okay, well, is this the most embarrassed you've ever been in your life? And he was like, oh, no, it would probably be, you know, whatever the situation was. And I'm like, okay, so you survived that. What was the outcome of that? And he talked about his, his discomfort. I'm like, okay, and does, does anyone ever talk about that event? And it was kind of that a few friends had talked about a funny thing. But then, and this is a helpful, This people find this particular question quite helpful, which is you can remember that all the times that you were embarrassed, but if I say to you, like about a certain person, when was the time that he was embarrassed? You actually can't remember. Unless it's like your best mate, you will not know because it's not something that we retain. Um, but we just put so much. And it's all like I'm not making fun of the fact that we do that because I know why we do that because we're like a pack animal basically and, you know, standing within the community is important. So we're it's all kind of evolutionary, but you've got to get over being scared of looking like a dickhead. Like you're going to look like a dickhead sometimes.
0: Yep. Uh, it's unavoidable. Yeah. Um, just gotta embrace it, I guess. But yeah. I, I like that, yeah. Actually realizing that you have a say in how you think. Yeah. Um you have a large degree of control over you know what your brain does, and that in turn <laughs> controls how your body responds physiologically.
1: Yeah. And I think if you're someone where you have a mental health disorder, you still unless it's psychosis or something where you're literally hearing another voice. Like depression, anxiety, they're going to shape how you think, but you can kind of be aware of that. So I will, something will come into my head and I'll be like, I'll literally kind of say to myself, not out loud, but mentally I'll be like, yeah, that's my anxiety talking. Yep. Like, and so I can acknowledge it of like, yeah, it's very, like my, um, like the the thing that I'm kind of known for, because I use this example in work settings, is something will go wrong at work. And the way my brain will spiral within about 40 seconds is that my end state is like, you know, this has gone wrong therefore i'm about to get in trouble i'm about to be fired they're about to take my registration as a psychologist i'll never get work again and my whole family will live in my car which is a volkswagen golf and it's much too small for us to live in that's how fast my spiral can go down um and it's very unlikely that any of that's going to happen and it's i have it and i will go down there and then i go right and what what is the actual likelihood that that's going to happen and when in my life have i gotten in trouble at work and it has not resulted in me being fired and you know it's just challenging yourself
0: Hmm. uh yeah, that's cool. I guess that, you know, having you have a say in your own head and then trying to, like, recognize yeah. when you're experiencing symptoms, yeah. and, then- and and
1: and knowing, like, acknowledging that those things that pop into your head, they come for a reason. Like, they've you you've thought that way for a reason because at some point, thinking like that's kept you safe, but right now it's not helpful and you don't have to listen to it.
0: Thanks for listening to today's podcast episode and keep your eyes and ears peeled for future episodes. If you don't already, don't forget to follow Arc Remote Coaching on Instagram and that's my handle, simply at Arc Remote Coaching. You can find us on YouTube. You can also find us on Facebook, but I've had some issues with renaming my business uh, to its actual correct name. So it's actually still listed as Ascension Strength and Conditioning. Don't ask me why. It's a long story. It annoys the shit out of me. And you can also follow Alicia Shemelt on Instagram. Her handle is thegeekpsych And after you finish checking both Alicia and my page out on Instagram, don't forget to check out arcremotecoaching.com. I've got a series of articles. I'm adding new content as uh, frequently as I can produce and publish it. Arc Remote Coaching offers individualized strength and conditioning coaching for people who need to be in peak condition, whether that's for sport, for the field as a tactical athlete. Whether you are a performing artist or you have a highly physically demanding job or hobby, Arc Remote Coaching offers specialized high-performance services to improve physical performance. We're not going to help you lose three kilograms next week for that big do, but we will help you optimize your performance whether you're looking to improve strength, speed, power, or endurance. Skip the bullshit heart, skip the fads, and actually have a level two strength and conditioning coach accredited with the Australian Strength and Conditioning Association, a level two state weightlifting and sports power coach with the Australian Weightlifting Federation, a level one powerlifting coach with Powerlifting Australia, that's who I am, Pete Darling, all of the above, help you optimise your performance. Stop following bullshit, fake Instagram influencers. Get an accredited and experienced
1: strength and conditioning coach to help you optimize your performance. Until next time, peace.